As I said earlier in the program, the collective Jewish heart, as I have been mentioning for the last 18 days, suffered a tremendous jolt 18 days ago, and now the collective Jewish heart has begun to grieve for the loss of our three boys in Israel. They'll be laid to rest side by side a couple of hours from now in Modi in Israel. We've dis- we discussed the symbolism of that and the incredible unity in general the Jewish people around the world have had um, seep into our lives because of the three boys and their incredible families. We've discussed the reaction in Israel from uh, building of, uh, or, or I should say, um, founding of new towns, if you will, the response of the Israel Air Force, the collective grief that those even closer to the situation than we are, those who are citizens of Israel and living there feel and will feel certainly all day long and for the next few days in the aftermath of this horrific episode. And um, as we grieve together, we've invited a special guest with us uh, live via telephone, somebody who deals with grief, and especially as it applies to uh, to children in our community on a regular basis. Rabbi David Fox is with us. He's Director of Interventions and Community Education for Project Chai at Chai Lifeline International. Rabbi Fox, thank you for joining us this morning. At J- Sorry about that. Thank you for joining us this morning at JM in the AM. Just a moment. I apologize. There we go. Rabbi Fox, thank you for joining us this morning at JM in the AM. Thank you, too. It's a very sad uh, moment for all of us, but I'm certainly honored to be asked to speak to your on your program. I appreciate that. So 18 days ago, we gathered with our children and uh, spoke with them and encouraged them to participate in Tfilot and Tehillim, in rallies, uh, hanging up photos of the boys, leaving chairs empty in shul for the boys, and, and really, to a great extent, with, with obvious caution, um, communicating the message that we can make a difference, that we actually can play a role and these boys, um, you know, being returned safely to their home. And then yesterday, of course, we had to share the news with our children of the triple murder and uh, the way this ended for the boys in Israel. And now the question is to you, Rabbi Fox, what do we say now? How do we communicate this balance that there was hope, that there was a tremendous amount of hope and promise in this situation that we actually could participate in, but sometimes things don't end up the way we want them to, and in this case, they ended up as tragically as possible. This is a, a time of collective shock and confusion and grief for so many of us across the globe. And I think it's important that we all remember that each child, each adolescent, and even each adult is responding in their own way. I think that most of the young young people at the moment, particularly outside of Eretz Yisrael, are in a state of shock. Uh, there's confusion, there's numbness, there's a lot of quiet. Uh, as the days go by, I think the question that you're asking is going to surface more and more. What about all the tefillahs? What about all the tehillim? What about everything that we prayed for and that we hoped for? And I think this is one of the questions that will emerge. Um, I think at this at this very moment, that question has not begun to pulsate because there's just a collective sense of shock and numbness. 
I guess this is something you encounter all the time because I would I would assume in many situations, not all, but in many situations with terminally ill patients, with family members who may either suddenly or not so suddenly pass away, uh, there are those left behind, so to speak, who 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 know that they made an effort, that they went ahead and uh, and davened and prayed and hoped as much as possible, and really thought that what they did uh, and continued to do would make. A difference. I, I guess in this case, it's simply on a larger communal scale. Yes, that, that's correct. And in Project Chi, where we're dealing with not only individual loss, but we're dealing with trauma at a more regional or sometimes like this, an international level, there are some unfortunately common reactions that people have. Uh, many times, Older adolescents and adults won't be as stymied by that question about what about all the effort I put in. And in fact, when a teenager and adult can look back and say, well, I know I took these steps. I know these are the interventions I tried, like Tehillim or making personal contributions, making personal sacrifices to help out. So that does give older uh, people and teenagers a sense that I did my best, I took an action. But it's the younger folks who have a difficult time with that perspective, and they're they're left feeling betrayed. I was told that my Tehillim would matter. I was told my Tefillos would make a difference. What have they led to? Where do they go to? All right, for the older people, it's more of we did what we could, and uh, they're able to rationally move on, in a sense, from that. Yeah, and and when, when younger Younger kids um, are troubled by that question. It's important to help them see the purity and the spirituality of that very question, that they're grappling with something that is causing strife to the soul itself. And uh, we, will, we will tell a child that is a personal accomplishment, that's a madriga, that your soul is wrestling with this. Uh, when it hits a youngster more psychologically, that they're feeling the anger, they're feeling the frustration, that this is where we will have to do some intervention and helping them reframe that you no know, tefillah ever gets lost. Um, and we will help them foster over time a perspective. All right, Dr. David Fox is Director of Interventions and Community Education for Project High of High Lifeline. Okay, so... Practically speaking, what signs should parents look for? Is there anything alarming that a youngster could react in a specific way they could react to this whole episode or a certain silence or other type of behavior they may take on that, in fact, should be a red flag for parents? Okay, it's a very important and sensitive question. Um, What I would offer is that in our work in Project High with grieving youngsters, we have to help the parents identify the difference between normal grief, a normal reaction, and then more a more aggravated traumatic response, which fortunately is much less common. And in the aftermath of a loss, particularly a very tragic internationally moving loss like this, uh, there are some normal responses in children. Children may withdraw and become initially quiet. Children may generate fears even less gen- less rational fears, fears of going outside, fears that's going to happen to them. Uh, children may initially have trouble sleeping. Children may lose their appetite. But generally, those 
are more common responses and with support, with encouragement, with normalizing and moving the child to returning to his or her routine, um, this may just be a common process reaction to very troubling news. The, the, the danger signs, as you say, um, are much less common. Most children and even adults, fortunately, don't develop aggravated traumatic disorders or responses. Uh, we are resilient people, and with support, with love, encouragement, normalization and validation, most of us do okay uh, over the short time. But when a, a parent sees that the child continues to fret, uh, withdraws and shows an, sort of an intractable depression, uh, doesn't stop crying, fixates or obsesses about some aspect of their personal loss, um, or has immobilizing fear. So if this doesn't abate or diminish uh, over the course of about two weeks' time, then it may be helpful to call in a professional. This is going to stick with us for a while, no matter how old or young you are, right? Yes, uh, partially because of the heinous gravity of what's happened, also because of the media. Right. Uh, in different ways, the media will keep this uh, fresh and alive in our consciousness. And also for time to come, whether it's in the shiurim or the shmuzin that our kids attend, or whether it's on the playground or in the street, there's going to be constant discussion about it. And, and, and that actually is the nature of crisis, that when something horrible happens, it does leave its imprint for a time with people. You know, I remember in the aftermath of 9-11, uh, there are people, and, and some of whom we knew personally or know personally, who literally walked out of the building and never gave it, gave it a second thought, you know, were, were able to exist on a level-headed basis the next day. And there are others, of course, who, you know, you, you could find who were in therapy for years after being in that building and just narrowly escaping with their lives. What do you think the hitchhiking youth of Israel are going through over the last couple of weeks, and specifically now that they know the results of that episode from that Thursday night? Uh, is, is it the same mix? Will there be kids who have, you know, who are who are fearless and won't give it a second thought, and others who are probably going to be very hesitant? Well, actually, because you mentioned 9-11, a lot of what we've learned in Project Chai, uh, as our trauma department of Chai Leifert, a lot of what we've learned about the aftermath of trauma has been, been from studies of people who dealt with 9-11. That really was an eye-opener and a turning of the corner scientifically in understanding what our the range of reactions to trauma. And what you said is very accurate. There were people who walked away, and this began giving us clues about what we refer to as resilience. There are people who have a resiliency in the aftermath of crisis, and they cope rapidly. They organize thoughts and feelings. They have a way of ventilating, talking about what they've gone through, and they do regroup. Um, what we have to watch out for, uh, of course, is the tendency to go into denial, which is not looking back, not talking about it, keeping the feelings in. And this, of course, becomes the reading ground for later reactions of depression, of anxiety. Uh, I think uh, Baruch Hashem, the Israeli culture, and the Israeli society has pushed 
our youth and our adults towards resiliency. There is very, very uh, horribly, there is a constant and ongoing concern about danger there. And from an early age, people are taught to be vigilant, uh, to be on alert, uh, to have very strongly developed bitachon, um, and that helps them cope. And I think what will happen is people will hitchhike, people will be more cautious, but there will be a push to return to normal. I remember in the aftermath of so many bus bombings in Israel and you know, financially, families in Israel were not able to send their kids with cabs, you know, at a, at a moment's notice, but had no choice but to use the bus system. And I, you know, I always wondered about that, about how parents, uh, you know, literally would, would put their kids on a bus and, and not know if they, you know, would make it home later that day because of the, uh, because of how often these uh, terror attacks were taking place at that time. And I wonder if being forced to confront the situation, if being forced to continue to hitchhike because of financial or practical reasons or being forced to continue to ride buses, again, because of financial or other reasons, I wonder if that's better or worse. Well, I think it's an excellent point. And in some ways, that needing to get on the bus and to take public transportation in Israel, it is a metaphor for what we encourage in our work in Project Chai in working with children and working with families and that is after normalizing the fear and recognizing a child's reaction uh, in the aftermath of crisis, we will gently urge the parents to help the child return to his or, routine, his or her routine. Right. And, and the metaphor of getting on the bus is an excellent example of helping a child recognize that going back into the classroom and returning to school and being able to take that walk and do the things that you were once able to do, that is both a sign of recovery and it's also a catalyst for the healing after trauma. Yeah. You know, I have a mixed reaction to the, um, and this is a bit complicated, so I shouldn't really say this on one foot as the expression goes, but the memorial services are now taking place in the aftermath. Obviously, uh, they're important for a variety of reasons. Um, I, I just think sometimes the Jewish community is very good at memorials and, uh, and, and sometimes not as good you know, in the in the prior aspects of these episodes, but that that notwithstanding, um, is it helpful for people to gather tonight? There's a community-wide memorial service going on in New York City tonight. Is it important for someone to go? Is is it something that they will gain from in terms of their own recovery or their own adjustment to this situation if they would attend a service like this? Well, look, we we have the pasuk in your miyahu. Um, which looks at first like a redundancy. We're saying in two different ways that blessed is the person who exercises bitachon. And some of the Meforshim Rishonim point out that there is that bitachon in the moment of fear before getting the horrible news, and we're all very good at that. But we also need to be just as good at affirming and asserting our bitachon when we get the bad news. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, it is a very important psychological and spiritual step to gather in the aftermath of tragic news and to reaffirm uh, our perspective of who we are and who we turn to based Zora. So in that sense, this is a, a national tradition for thousands of years 
we get together and we mourn publicly. Um, I think beyond the obvious religious and spiritual healing that can come of that, uh, solidarity is important. Seeing a collective group um, of other children, of other adults, um, is normalizing. It validates that what we're going through is exactly the right thing to be going through in our upheaval, in our frustration, in our hurt and our pain. Uh, what I caution, and, and all of us in Project High, when we're, we're speaking with Manahalim or Rabbanim about putting together an Asifa like this, we do caution them really not to go into the blaming, to giving a cause and effect explanation for why this tragedy happened. Uh, very little healthy will come out of a child or a teenager or even an adult leaving such an asifa feeling that it was my fault Understood. or I should have done something different or this was brought about because of something, some hate that I did. So we really do caution speakers from leaving the idea that this happened to those people because something they did wrong or because of something we did wrong. And guilt at this point in time is really not part of the healing. Point well taken. Rabbi David Fox, uh, Project Chayet, High Lifeline. If principals, or maybe this time of year I should say, if head counselors and directors uh, want to get in touch with you and uh, your project at High Lifeline, uh, especially in light of the uh, current circumstances, how do they do that? Well, we have an ongoing crisis line, which anyone can call. And um, we staff it with trained professionals who work in the area of crisis intervention and in dealing with trauma. And the central number is 855, the number 3, and then the word crisis, C-R-I-S-I-S, so 8553-CRISIS. Um, we also do have access through uh, email. Um, let me give you a website, which is crisis at high lifeline, that's one word, C-H-A-I, L-I-F-E-L-I-N-E, crisis at highlifeline.org, or, or as the director of Project High, let me go ahead and give uh, your listeners my own uh, email, and I will be available to field questions, to offer guidance and support, as will uh, my very capable associate directors. And I can be reached at dfox, Diaz and David, dfox, at highlifeline.org. All right, Dr. David Fox, I thank you, and uh, we should uh, we should speak under better circumstances. Thanks for joining us this morning. Amen. And we should hear good things. Amen. Five minutes before 8 o'clock, it's JM in the AM.